This weekend we're celebrating our church, our parish and our patron saint, St Thomas a Becket. His feast day is actually the 29th of December, the date on which he was martyred in 1170. But his feast day, falling between Christmas and New Year, is invariably overshadowed by other events. We have therefore chosen to celebrate the parish in midsummer, close to the feast day of St Thomas the Apostle, which is on July the 3rd, and after whom Thomas Becket was named, probably because he was born on the feast day of Thomas the Apostle. So in effect we're celebrating his 853rd birthday. Now yesterday I spoke about our church and our parish, but this evening I want to reflect on the sanctity of our patron, an altogether more challenging demand. The front page of our parish minute book contains a memorandum dated 1502, stating that in that year construction of the parish church at Wigcombe was completed, replacing an earlier chapel and dedicated to St Thomas a Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury, who was murdered at the altar at the Great Church at Canterbury. There is also a note that the memorandum should be copied in the front of every subsequent follow volume of the minute book, so that the dedication of the church should not be forgotten. If this were a history lecture, the presentation would be complex, but relatively straightforward. But this is a reflection on the sanctity of Thomas a Becket the Martyr. Now last week Fiona and I were invited to a reception at Wells for church wardens from across the diocese, hosted by our bishop, Bishop Michael. When I met the bishop I explained about our celebration weekend and the reflection I was preparing. Bishop Michael said that three years ago he was the Bishop of Hartford, a suffragan bishop of St Albans. As the 830th anniversary of St Thomas's murder approached he was invited to preach at a small church where Thomas had served as a junior cleric. And Bishop Michael admitted that he knew little of the life of St Thomas of Becket and quickly carried out some research. He delivered the sermon, which seemed to be well received, but afterwards was introduced to a member of the congregation who declared that she was a direct descendant of one of the knights who had carried out the murder. How do you respond to that? Apparently the woman then continued to apologise profusely for the actions of her ancestor. The point of the story is that despite the passage of eight centuries, the events of December 1170 are not forgotten. Now, Thomas's murder took place in a different age, when different values were attached to monarchy, church and religion. The challenge is to strip away events which were a consequence of the high med medieval age, and to focus on the characteristics of St Thomas, which are rele relevant to us today. The key issues are friendship, Loyalty, more precisely, loyalty to your earthly government and loyalty to God, and conscience. We probably all have some knowledge of St Thomas a Becket's story, some of it factual, some of it folklore. At this point, I feel I need to take a leaf out of the CBBC's news round or the BBC's outside source, which try to explain a complete, complex story in a simple way that can be quickly understood. Simplistically, this story is of a man, Thomas Becket who was loyal to his king, Henry II. As well as king and servant, the relation between Henry and Thomas developed into one of close friendship and confidence. But Henry compromised this friendship by appointing Thomas to be both Chancellor of England and Head of the Catholic Church in England, with the objective he united the two in sympathy with the king's aims. But Thomas was unable to serve two masters and chose the church, which ultimately led to his murder. Thomas was slain by four knights, a descendant of one who met Bishop Michael, 
and acting in response to Henry's outburst, will nobly rid me of this troublesome priest, most probably said in frustration rather than as an order. And we have an image of that event on the banner which normally sits to the right of the altar, which I brought forward as Exhibit A. Literature has left us several accounts of the events of 1170, including the 1964 film Beckett, starring Richard Burton as Beckett and Peter O'Toole as Henry. And if it helps, keep that image in your minds. The film was based on the 1959 play Beckett or the Honour of God by Jean Anouy. This is also There is also the 1935 drama Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. A two less well-known documents, but important to our understanding of events, are the Chronicle of the Kings of England, published in 1740 by Robert Dodesley, which includes an account of Beckett's murder, and A Life of St Thomas, written between 1174 and 1177 by the monk Edward Grimm, who was present in Canterbury Cathedral at the time of the murder, and who was wounded trying to protect Beckett. Grimm, a witness to the murder, recorded Henry's outburst as What miserable drones and traitors have I nurtured and promoted in my household, who let their lord be treated with such shameful contempt by a low-born cleric. But it was Dodesley who used a popularised phrase, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this turbulent priest? This was modelled on the New Testament reading we heard today in Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This verse comes at the end of a chapter where Paul describes his wrestling with sin, his constant tendency to do what he knows he should not do, and even when he doesn't want to do something, he finds himself inexorably moving towards it. He states, I'm a wretched man, who will rescue me from this body of death, this sinful flesh that is constantly prone to turn from God? Do you recognise human that human failing in yourself? I certainly do. At a trivial level, I often raid the biscuit barrel, knowing that I shouldn't. I know that when Fiona finds out, she will rebuke me, but I, can't but I can resist anything by temptation. I eat the biscuit and try to disguise my deeds, but Fiona always finds out. A trivial example, perhaps, but the same happens at many levels. This is what St Paul was describing. Does this sum summarise Henry's emotions? Now back to my news round approach, the background to the events of 1170 is well known. By tradition, Beckett was the son of a French merchant who had moved to London from Normandy in the 1120s. He was educated at a grammar school in London, following which he became a clerk in the service of the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was then Theobald of Beck. Thomas rose to the ranks and was later entrusted with several important missions to Rome. He was also sent to Bologna to study canon law and was named as Archdeacon of Canterbury, a senior administrator of the diocese. England at this time was unstable. To summarise a complex situation, Henry inherited the throne from Stephen, whose reign had been dominated by civil war between forces, forces loyal to Stephen and those to his cousin Matilda. There was also rivalry between the Crown and the Church, with the Archbishop of Canterbury at its head, subject to the rule of Rome. Henry's objective was to establish political stability with Henry at its head. Beckett's administrative skills came to the notice of the King, who appointed him Lord Chancellor, in which role he was the King's right-hand man. But Beckett also became a close friend and confidant of the King. In an attempt to unite control of the state and church under one person, Henry contrived that if Beckett were both Lord Chancellor and Archbishop of Canterbury, and he were the King's man, his ambitions could be realised. 
but it was not to be. Becket's conscience would not permit him to serve both church and the king, or should she more rightly say, God and man. This not only thwarted Henry's plans, but also challenged his friendship with Becket. In serving God, Becket found he could no longer be a slave to his friend's every whim. He could only bend to the will of his earthly king when it aligned with that of the heavenly king. And when Henry opposed the church, he was challenged by Becket, which was a surprise to Henry, as he had appointed Becket archbishop specifically to have a friend in that role. The sting of Becket's betrayal was not just that of another clergyman opposing Henry's agenda. It was a betrayal of a friend, who had always been in his corner, suddenly squaring off against him in the ring. Becket forced Henry to confront the fact that God is not simply a convenient buttress to support one's pet opinions, or a pillar to support your own worldview. A true friend mirrors the action of God by forcing recognition of inconvenient truths, and the witness of friends, like Becket, prompts us to examine whose law we live by. So what differentiates the murder of Thomas between a politically motivated assassination and martyrdom? Rome Williams, a successor of Becket, wrote The martyr dies in the affirmation of God's lordship, and the affirmation that God is the ultimate value to be loved and served. T.S. Eliot put these words into Thomas Becket's mouth in Murder in the Cathedral. I give my life to the law of God above the law of man. And perhaps the evidence of martyrdom comes in the events that followed. Thomas's body remained where it had fallen for several hours, the monks of Canterbury not knowing what to do next. The next day he was buried in the crypt, but reports spread of miraculous healings connected to Becket. The people of Canterbury approached the monks to open the crypt to enable pilgrims to visit the tomb, and top Becket's reputation as a miracle worker, working saints, spread across Europe. And in 1173, only three years after his murder, he was canonised by the Pope, Pope Alexander III. Canterbury became a focus for pilgrims from across Europe, seeking healing miracles. And in 1174, Henry made a public act of penance at Thomas's tomb, giving royal approval to what had become a Becket cult. Thomas's body was moved from the crypt to a new shrine in a purpose-built chapel in the cathedral. And Geoffrey Chaucer famously captures something of the atmosphere of pilgrimage to this shrine in his Canterbury Tales. There was also a move that the real and tangible Thomas a Becket should become the patron saint of England rather than the mythical Saint George. In 1502, when our church was consecrated, the cult of St. Thomas a Becket was still strong. So strong, in fact, that he was named the patron of our church, and a memorandum written in the parish minute book to ensure that the patron and his murder were not forgotten. So what do we conclude from the story of St. Thomas? Becket remains an exemplary figure of an opposition to unbridled power. Perhaps the most important message to us is to remind us that God is not to be used as a convenient buttress to support our pet opinions, or a pillar to support our own worldview. And key in the story is the role of loyalty and friendship, and the distinction between them. A true friend is not a slave to a crony's every whim. A true friend mirrors the action of God by forcing recognition of inconvenient truths. The witness of friends like Becket, the witness of friends like Becket prompts us to examine whose law we live by. Amen.